Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. So we're back this week with another episode of Asia Pacific Focus. Our head of Asia Pac Research, Nick Holt, is in Beijing. And Nick is looking at logistics and how the market over there is weighing up against offices and retail. And he also has a couple of guests lined up. So Nick, welcome back to the podcast. What can you tell us about your episode for this month? Hi, Anna. Well, this week in the Asia Pacific Focus podcast, we are looking at logistics across the Asia Pacific region. And we have two very interesting speakers to discuss what has been going on in 2020 and what is ahead in 2021 and beyond. So the two speakers are firstly Peter Garrison, who's head of strategic customers at Logos. Now, Logos are one of the big logistics developers and managers across the Asia-Pacific region. They have over 6 million square meters of property from China to India to Indonesia, Vietnam, all the way down to Australasia. So he has some fascinating insights into what's going on across the region. And then he's joined by Tim Armstrong, who's the Knight Frank Asia-Pacific Head of Occupier Services and Commercial Agency. And he comes from a logistics background. He's an industrial and logistics guy at heart, and he brings some really interesting insights from what he's seeing in the market at the moment. And what were the highlights for you, Nick, during the conversation? I think one of the very topical conversations at the moment is, is all around shifting supply chains. And obviously, we're hearing this in the press a lot about manufacturing and therefore some of the logistics supply chains moving out of places like China into places like Southeast Asia. And I think Peter and Tim really shine some light on what is actually going on on the ground, what this means potentially for investors, developers and logistics players in that space, because we're seeing more and more of these players looking at China plus one strategy. So we're going to discuss that in, in some detail on this podcast. Tim, if I can perhaps please turn to you first. What have been the major recent developments in the logistics market in the Asia-Pacific region? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, look, I think I mean, there's no doubt industrial and, and logistics has become very much the flavor of the month. I think what we've seen over the last, uh, well, I mean, certainly there's discussed pre-COVID and post-COVID, but if you looked at it over the last couple of years, there's been a huge pickup in e-commerce that's been exacerbated by COVID. And as a result, you know, we're seeing a lot more development happen in the region. So a lot of groups like Logos, like, like Peter's Business, looking to develop new facilities because there's a flight to quality and an increased demand in the industrial sector at the moment. So with that, I mean, COVID's brought, I think, like supply chain analysis for groups as well. So it's actually become quite a sophisticated asset class that's driving things at the moment. But certainly, I think for us, in what we're seeing at the grassroots level is that flight to quality, that real pickup from e-commerce and then I think shifting supply chains that's going on at the moment as a result of COVID and everyone looking at how to make sure they've got the right supply chain and footprint and network in place. Thanks Tim. So Peter turning to you and perhaps picking up on a couple of the points that Tim talked about. First of all who is driving the majority of demand in Logos's portfolio across the region? Is it that e-commerce element that we've been talking about? And secondly, picking up on this shifting supply chains, is that something that you're also seeing in the market? So I would say that in aggregate demand terms, we're seeing a roughly evenly split, but maybe a bit of a lean towards e-commerce demand 
in the Asia Pacific region. I think that's that's by and large just because e-commerce requirements tend to be larger in scale on a general basis anyway. But when you look at the sheer number of third-party logistics or end-user requirements, it then begins to even out. So effectively, you'll have a situation where, let's say, the average in a given market, if the average third-party logistics requirement is 30 to 40,000 square meters, you would then typically see an e-commerce user come in at about 100,000 square meters, but you would see less of those e-commerce requirements than you would the third-party logistics ones. In terms of supply chain shifts and, let's say, innovations in how goods are moving around the region, I would say that this is a long-term structural trend that's just been accelerated. This process began a number of years ago as China became a higher cost destination for a variety of reasons. Moreover, there was actually a push by central and local governments in China to upgrade land use to highest and best case. And so what that meant was that there was more of an emphasis on generating either taxation revenue from enterprises or attempting to focus on attracting users with, let's say, more of a technology bent. So you're talking about research and development. You're talking about more emphasis on things like artificial intelligence, aeronautics, industries that they felt were more future looking. And so in those instances, users felt that the operating environment, particularly in mainland China, was becoming more challenging for them. And so they started to look around the region for alternatives for some of the manufacturing that was then getting turned away. I'd say that the trade war did help accelerate this. And then off the back of COVID, it's really a full-blown trend where it's not necessarily that China is losing out on business, rather it's focusing on a different type of business now and that the rest of the region is happy to receive some of these occupiers, you know, as is evidenced in places like Vietnam and India specifically. Thanks, Peter. You talked about it's a trend that's been accelerated by obviously COVID in 2020 and then back into 2019 and the US-China trade tensions. What's the scenario of a worsening tension between China and US? We're hearing a lot about sort of a a break between the two countries around the technology industries, etc. But a worsening trade environment, maybe more tariffs between US and China, what sort of impact do you think this could have on the region's logistics markets? Well, I do think that the region was already moving towards, let's say, more dispersal, or rather, we could even say a decentralization out of this global manufacturing hub that has been China over the past three decades. Really, I think users were beginning to identify that due to tariffs and due to uncertainties, due to the operating environment changing, that while it would not be a wholesale case of relocating all of their production base from China to another one country, that you have this concept of the China plus one, right? And so a lot of companies were saying, we'll keep some manufacturing located in China for that domestic market if we're doing things that are somewhat complicated and the supplier base is only in China, maybe we keep a portion of that there. But I think what you're seeing is as businesses expand and as they begin to familiarize themselves with not only the domestic economies here in Asia Pacific, but also to how to leverage off of the global supply chain in more efficient ways, that then makes it more attractive to set up multiple locations across the region. And as these regions also, too, see that there is an uptick in their own domestic economies with more people working in these industries, spending more on non-discretionary goods and discretionary goods, 
then that drives trends like e-commerce. And so with the expansion of online shopping and so on and so forth, it creates this ecosystem where your manufacturing supply chain, either from the domestic or the global markets, is aligning with growing consumer consumption in these emerging economies. So Tim, you know, during this COVID period, we've seen a number of asset classes struggle in that commercial real estate space. Office rents start to turn, um, retail especially being damaged. We're hearing that obviously logistics has seen pretty buoyant demand, but how is that all playing out in the rental markets? What are we seeing happening in terms of rents for logistics assets? And then the underlying value as well. How are we seeing values hold up in 2020? Thanks, Nick. I mean, it's a good question. I think you have to look at it and really break down industrial and logistics. So what I mean by that is logistics is probably the prime assets. And then often industrial is the manufacturing style, often older 20, 30, 40 year products. So you've got your prime and your secondary. What's holding up very well at the moment is prime and all the investment and all the capital that's coming into the market wants prime assets. So they want the big distribution centers that are occupied by an Amazon or a BMW or big retails. So that's where the volumes are holding up quite well. I mean, an example would be in Australia, the Aldi portfolio of distribution centers recently sold for about 650 million. And the yield between what everyone thought probably pre-COVID versus post-COVID, because it did sell post-COVID, it probably only softened by 0.25%. So COVID hasn't knocked around the values at all when it comes to the prime. The secondary though, that's when you'll start to see a bit more of a gap because the ability to backfill that type of space probably becomes a bit difficult. It's manufacturing can be a bit more specific. And so to that point, I mean, same with the prime rents, you're holding up quite well. It's a secondary market where we now start to see the, the rental spread and the yield spread start to widen. So that's probably the big change at, at the moment that we're seeing. And, and certainly, I mean, the drive and the demand around Southeast Asia, the sheer population growth and, and the need to get better quality warehousing into those markets, which is something that Logos do and, and many developers are doing now is, is seeing that prime market to the demand there for that prime market will probably help to support and underpin the rents that they're trying to achieve. Thanks, Tim. So, Peter, turning to you and, and Logos's development uh, strategies, we are seeing more sort of build to suit from logistics developers across the region. Is this a growing trend or are we still seeing most of the activity in terms of just building standard logistics spaces, either pre-committed or even on a speculative basis? So, so if you were to look across our entire operating portfolio, you would see that the majority of the space in our development pipeline will be for speculative development. Now, in certain markets, this will vary when we think about the proportion of speculative versus build to suit with, let's say, Australia being on the far end of the spectrum when it comes to pre-commit development where you would typically have the customer in hand and you would understand their building specification requirements very clearly before beginning construction. Now, because most of our portfolio is really located in emerging Asia, where we have a high degree of stock that we hold in markets like China, India, Indonesia, where the primary mode of development there is going to be speculative development. And the reasons for this are that users typically want to see that developer is able to acquire the land and have it in hand because land acquisition is not straightforward in many of these markets and is fraught with all types of challenges on the regulatory side. Additionally, having your building permits and having your land permits, everything in place will be key. And then large users will also want to tend to see that you are making progress on construction 
and nearing the end of construction where they can then begin to determine if those building specifications that they are paying premium for in certain cases are really going to be what they want. Now, in many of these emerging areas, if there is existing logistic stock, the specifications tend not to be what we would consider to be international, and therefore they are cheaper. So if you want a user to take, in their minds, a risk on new modern logistics space, you have to prove that you can actually deliver it. And proving that you can deliver it is really going through this entire process and then seeing that there is an actual building that they can then lease for use. And so that's why the speculative mode of development is really the primary way to, to put space onto the market in places, again, places like China, India, and Indonesia. Now, I do think that there is somewhat of a pivot that we might be able to expect in the near to medium term with perhaps some more build to suit requirements because of further integrations of, let's say, perishable cold storage technology and some users' requirements, in addition to automation. As those capital requirements begin to go up and increase, you begin to see things like differences in clear height. You begin to see you know, greater amounts of technological necessity when it comes to the equipments and the operations and management of these facilities. And so in those instances, that would be more of a build-to-suit model. But for general e-commerce, general third-party logistics or end-user use, in most of Asia, it will continue to remain a speculative model. Thank you, Peter. You touched then on technology. You also touched on automation. What are the big technological changes or disruptors we're seeing in the logistics markets? Are there any other technologies or ways of working that are changing the way that logistics assets are being utilized? Yes, there are a number of technologies related to supply chain that I think are worth noting. But before getting into the individual technologies, I think we have to ask the question of why the supply chain industry as well as the logistics properties sector has really jumped to the forefront of really being one of the most technologically advanced of all real estate asset classes. And I think that's because what's driving so many of the business models currently is really this need for scale, this need for speed. E-commerce really changed the game when it came to people's expectations on receiving product and getting it to them you know, in a safe, timely, convenient, affordable fashion. And so the only way to be able to offer a wide product range, get it to people within 24 hours at effectively no cost, is to be able to achieve tremendous amounts of scale. That scale comes in the form of both large footprint warehousing, obviously, but it also comes in your ability to be able to turn over a wide array of products in a short amount of time. And you start to get into limitations in turning over product if you're completely reliant on, you know, let's say, you know, mid to late 20th century technologies of people just moving goods around. Where you really began to leverage off of what the business can do from a technological perspective is when you begin to integrate in things like automation, when you are able to, let's say, go vertical and improve the cubic capacity and density of these buildings, when you're able to also satisfy the customer's need for things like fresh food, and that comes in the form of perishables. And then I would say the last bit is really emphasizing how we accomplish last mile distribution. 
because really that is the most expensive part of the supply chain. I think it's something like 50% of the overall cost is in the last mile. And it's in that last mile where users are feeling like they're getting the goods that they need in a timely and you know, well-prepared fashion. Their dinner that they're gonna cook for that evening is the poultry is not gonna arrive spoiled, so to speak. It needs to arrive fresh. And so those innovations, they're not just isolated to what we're seeing on the e-commerce side, they also, in some ways, they branch out and spread further into industrial logistics because some of the operators and providers of these consumer services are also doing things on the B2B side. And so there are natural synergies that come into play when you can learn from technologies, when you can scale up, and then you can apply that to different business and operational models. And so I think that what we're witnessing is really more efficiency coming into the system and people taking advantages of scale. I'll close with what's been happening during the COVID period as well that really opened up people's eyes and perhaps accelerated some of these forays into new technologies was the inability to get labor to a work site. Now that's been challenging in many markets across Asia Pacific for a long time for completely different reasons. Sometimes industrial parks are not necessarily located in areas where there's an existing base of residence to be able to staff a warehouse. But now during this time when supply chains were effectively shut down, some users took a step back and started to question, well, how much of this can we automate? Should we automate to prevent, let's say, bottlenecks in the system from occurring the way in which they did over the course of the past year? Many thanks, Peter. Looking forward into 2021, as a business, as Logos, where do you feel are there going to be the logistics hotspots? Which areas are you particularly focused on into next year? I would say at a high level, there is a lot of opportunity in many countries around the region. And the operating markets where we are active, I would say, all have their own attributes that are really driving further take up of logistics space. And it's on the user side, this, this demand driven aspect that people wanting more international grade facilities. And then there's the natural flow of capital that is beginning to come in behind that to fund some of the expansion of these operations, both on the hard property side, but also to on the supply chain side, which I think is interesting. Now, when you look at specific markets, I think that there are a couple of places on the map that sort of jump out at you, just given where we are in the entire macro situation right now. One obviously is Vietnam, where we've just entered into uh, several months back, having our new head of country and getting our first few projects underway. There's a lot of user base that is considering relocating out of China into Vietnam to leverage off the synergies which exist there. I think Indonesia is a very interesting market because it has a very large population base. It's clear that e-commerce is gonna be a sector that is driving growth very much in and around the major urban hubs of Indonesia. You look at India, which has a tremendous amount of scale and which is a large domestic self-servicing economy with a really strong undersupply at the moment of modern logistics facilities. But then there are, there are other markets around the region like China will continue to grow and expand. Korea is a fantastic e-commerce market. So I really think that the opportunity is, is spread far and wide across the region as some of these larger structural trends come out and really begin to play themselves out. So Tim, turning to you, where do you feel are the opportunities in the logistics markets going forward and what are the potential challenges? 
Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I'd echo a lot of what Peter said there, and there's huge potential just across the region in the sense that it accounts for 60 65% of the world's population. So the numbers in Asia are huge. But if you drill into Southeast Asia, for instance, uh, I read a report recently that 50 million new consumers are expected to join the middle class by 2022, and that will account for an additional 300 billion US dollars in disposable income. So huge, huge numbers. Peter spoke to Vietnam, Indonesia. We're also seeing a lot of interest in Malaysia at the moment. We're running some, some bigger requirements there. Um, so we're optimistic about Malaysia, but equally India, the world's biggest democracy, 1.3 billion. But I think the biggest challenge that we're seeing or we will see is infrastructure and having the product there to service these needs. I mean, the US, for instance, are forecasting they need a billion square feet of additional warehousing by 2025 for the e-commerce demand. I haven't seen the numbers for Asia, but if that's the US, I mean, the numbers are going to be far greater given China's the biggest e-commerce market in the world. So, yeah, roads, infrastructure, ports, rail, that's what's needed in Asia. And that's going to be the key to the logistics market functioning. Well, Peter mentioned that, you know, 50% of the cost in supply chain often comes from that last mile. So, yeah, look, I, I think that's going to be our biggest demand in just being able to meet the expectations of these multinationals now that are branching into these Southeast Asian networks. But Look, ultimately, just huge opportunity. And you can see why industrial and logistics is the flavour of the month and I think will be going forward for some time yet. Thanks, Tim. And finally, perhaps a question for, for both of you. Are there any specific lessons that you feel you've learned during this COVID period or any lessons that are being learned that you could perhaps share with the listeners or any people interested in the APAC logistics markets? So perhaps first, Peter, I can turn to you. I think that the overarching lesson that I would want to communicate, while it may seem a little bit trite to say it, is, is really maintaining flexibility. There are a number of operating environments across the region. It's not a one-size-fits-all model. I think the thing that's somewhat deceptive about logistics properties sometimes is that because it's a box and they're located in industrial zones, there is a misconception that this is actually a pretty easy and straightforward business to conduct and to be involved with. The reality is, is that you know, it's a tightly held asset class, primarily because customer relationships are very important. Customer relationships are important because the supply chains of these companies actually matter where they locate the types of facilities that they try to use. And so as you begin to layer on the different operating environments, so let's say China is not the Philippines, is not Indonesia, is not Singapore, you start to understand what are the specific challenges that these users face in a particular given market that then has an impact on the sort of facilities that they're going to be in and the types of operations that they're running. And so once you take all those factors into consideration, and then you have something that was unanticipated, like a pandemic taking over, it becomes clear that keeping an open mind and maintaining ultimate flexibility is going to be the thing that gets you through it. And I think that goes beyond even what a developer like Logos is trying to accomplish. I think that is what we're all trying to accomplish in being able to get some of these projects over the line. It's a collaborative effort between the customer, between the developer, and even in, in certain jurisdictions where you're dealing with the government and that there are high barriers to entry on the regulatory side. 
there's got to be an open form of communication and there's got to be an understanding that the way in which things are going is not entirely the way that things have been. And I do see that there is that flexibility in the minds of many people who are working across the region, which is encouraging. And I, you know, to Tim's point, I think it bodes well for a bright future for Asia Pacific. That's probably been my biggest takeaway over the course of the last six to eight months. Thanks so much, Peter. And Tim, from your perspective, lessons learned from the last few months? I'd echo a lot of those sentiments. And I think it isn't a one-size-fits-all. And I think in, in a good market, it's very much about you know, moving on to the next one and the next one and so on. But you know, in a slower market or in a pandemic, you know, there's a lot of other factors and there's a need to get into the detail a lot more. So I think what we've learned is that where we're having success is because we really understand the needs and the wants of our clients. So be that either a developer or it's a tenant and understanding what they're looking to achieve and then trying to put solutions around them, but certainly being more invested in the process, more spending more time in the process has sort of been really important for us. And then you know, if we're dealing with an occupier who is talking a lot of supply chain, well, then let's bring in consultants around that supply chain or if it's design, let's bring in our project management teams to help with design and so on. But certainly, I think not just trying to roll out the cookie cutter, I think that's the worst thing in this environment that you can do. So it is really about getting into the detail, understanding the client's needs and not trying to provide this one-size-fits-all solution. It would probably be the biggest thing that we've learned through this period and that, yeah, like I said, clients are looking for bespoke solutions and they're looking at the costs more and they're looking for greater efficiency. So we need to be able to deliver that. Very, very valuable lessons learned in a, in a very challenging time in general, but obviously a very interesting and positive time for the logistics markets that's seeing huge amounts of change, evolution and growth. So with that, I'll thank our guests, Peter Garrison, who's head of strategic customers at Logos, and Tim Armstrong, who's head of occupier services and commercial agency, Asia Pacific at Knight Frank. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Mm -hmm.